All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, December 21st. We have four days till Christmas, 10 days left of 2022. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Nunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And a countdown to the holidays. Uh, <laughs> Jill, I'm I, I'm getting a lot of notes uh, from everyone worried about these storms, uh, winds, uh, wintry temps, freezing temps happening as everyone is trying to make their way uh, to visit family this weekend. I know. We had a relatively calm December so far. And of course, this crazy weather has to hit just as millions of people are trying to travel. And Mosh, that is our first headline. Baby, it is cold outside right in time for Christmas. Temps expected to plunge by about 40 degrees, bringing snow and wind and probably a lot of travel delays. Overseas, the Taliban continues to take away women's rights in Afghanistan. Ukrainian President Zelensky headed to Washington today. What to expect from his visit? A warning from the DEA about deadly fentanyl pills sold on social media. The most liked Instagram picture of all time is... All right, you're going to have to wait for that one. And Mosh, of course, you've cooked up another 90s-filled nostalgia on this day in history. I'll, I'll give everyone a clue. Who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> Mosh, I feel like you've been waiting your whole life to say <laughs> this is a film. This is a film uh, on the same history that has a lot of iconic quotes that I have probably said hundreds of times in my life. For now, though, let's start with the weather across the country. It is looking like it might be a messy week for holiday travel. There is a massive winter storm bearing down in the central U.S. that is threatening to rapidly strengthen into what meteorologists call a bomb cyclone. You may have heard this term before. It basically means that the pressure of a storm drops at least 24 millibars in 24 hours, in turn strengthening very quickly. According to Bloomberg, that storm will be dumping blinding snow on Chicago, throwing holiday travel into chaos and sending an Arctic blast as far south as Texas. On Friday, parts of the Northeast could see temperatures drop up to 40 degrees in just a matter of a few hours. And it couldn't come as a worse time. Millions of people are trying to get home for Christmas or just go away on vacation uh, for the holiday. Yeah, uh, Jill, if you're in the upper uh, upper plains today, you're going to see uh, its true effects. If you're waking up this morning there, uh, the feels like is in the uh, like significant negatives, like in the negative 20s. By tomorrow, it's scary. Tomorrow, when you wake up in Bismarck, it'll feel like negative 42, Minneapolis, negative 25, Lincoln, Nebraska, negative 37, Casper, Wyoming, negative 50, Denver, negative 16. By contrast, a balmy 11 degrees in Salt Lake City and 26 in Chicago. Mosh, if it is negative 42 degrees, I, I feel like you just can't leave the house. But of course, kids, I mean, do they cancel school? What happens? I mean, that, that's dangerous. Well, I mean, Upper Plains, like the people in the Dakotas, they're used to this sort of thing in winter. Uh, the feels like negative 42 is pretty extreme, even by their standards. School could be canceled. Uh, an issue you face there, and this is something, you know, we're, I'm trained in, having grown up in the Chicago area, you never want to uh, leave your gas tank more than half empty. 
you want to keep all your kind of fluids full in the car because literally if you don't have enough gas, it could actually freeze at those temperatures. And something to keep in mind, you got to cover up every piece of skin because you could literally get a frostbite in one or two minutes when you're talking about uh, the uh, temperature being there. And then there are the winds. We're talking about 55 mile per hour winds over the next 48 hours in uh, a, a wide swath of the country, uh, Upper Plains, Midwest, etc. There are wind chill watches and warnings. So definitely check your local news and local weather reports for what you need to know. But literally from Montana to Alabama, then Thursday into Friday, Chicago could get eight inches of snow. So you have some blizzard-like conditions you could be seeing in the Great Lakes area. All of this, of course, happening in the days leading up to Christmas. So this will uh, impact a bunch of large U.S. air hubs. For those of you who've unfortunately had to fly through Chicago O'Hare Airport, uh, they're canceling flights even on good days there. So this could be a significant issue there. But there are alerts coming out from the airlines. So definitely keep tabs on all of those. If you can fly with just carry-on, definitely suggest that so you can kind of jump around between flights easily and you don't have your uh, luggage stuck on a plane. Uh, And then there's this. So we've been talking about the planes. We're talking about the uh, Great Lakes. Jill, on Friday in New York, you will wake up. It'll be about 60 degrees. By 4 p.m., it'll be in the 20s and it'll be raining all day. So what they're warning... It's as, the end of the world. As you can suspect. Yeah, some people were saying it reminds them of those kind of 90s disaster films where everything like freezes immediately. But literally, they're calling it a flash freeze. New York City, Philly, Boston, you'll wake up in the 60s. It'll go down to the 20s. It'll be raining all day. So it'll turn into ice quickly in the afternoon, just in time for afternoon rush hour on Friday leading into Christmas weekend. So folks, be very careful and try to avoid driving after 2 p.m. there along the East Coast, the I-95 corridor, because that could turn into a disaster this weekend. Jill, how am I doing with traffic and weather on the nines? Mosh, very impressive, actually, especially when I was like, negative 42, they can't even leave the house. And you're like, slow your roll. They're used to (laughs) it. Welcome to Dakotas in the winter, Jill. And by the way, I was getting notes from folks in Canada, and I know we have a bunch of listeners of this podcast in Canada who were sending me, like, they're like, it's already negative 40 in Alberta. Like, can you report on us? Like, we live like this. Let's head overseas where the Taliban is Talibaning. Despite promising a more moderate rule when the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan in 2021, The Taliban continues to claw back women's rights. In its latest move on Tuesday, the Afghan government barred women from attending college. And this is crushing for young women in particular who have been raised during a time of relative opportunity in the country. Remember, the government for years was backed by the United States. The U.S. went to war in Afghanistan and had been present in the country for nearly two decades. So if you're just, say, a 20-year-old woman, that is basically all you've known until the Taliban took over in 2021 when the U.S. withdrew from the country. One woman who is in her third year studying journalism at a university in Afghanistan told NPR, quote, I can't fulfill my dreams, my hopes. Everything is disappearing before my eyes and I can't do anything about it. I mean, it's just devastating. And Moshe, I remember when the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan, I was hosting a different podcast at the time. You came on as a guest and we talked about Taliban 2.0, right? At the time, claiming to be this kinder and gentler version in order to be taken seriously on the world stage. And the fear was that they would go back to their draconian rule from the 90s. 
And so, Mosh, we now unfortunately have our answer as, as to which way they were going to rule. Yeah, we were all pretty skeptical last summer that the, uh, the that the Taliban was just basically trying to say what they needed to say in order to be able to get foreign aid and to keep their seat at the UN, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, they, they've clearly been doing this now over the course of the last year and a half. In recent weeks, the new government brought back Sharia law, and this is their interpretation, their strict interpretation of Islamic law that goes back a thousand years. And Jill, I should say, as somebody who uh, enjoys comparative religion history, the Islamic leaders during the time of Muhammad, the founder of Islam, more than 1,400 years ago, were actually more progressive and gave women more rights than the Taliban is doing today. Um, and so that's a, a subject for a different podcast. No, you're completely right. I studied um, I studied Islam in graduate school, and and you're completely right. It was the, There were periods where they were pretty moderate, actually. I, I mean, even Muhammad at the time was letting women uh, serve as uh, lieutenants and generals in his military. Um, and so the Taliban, I mean, that's why like the Taliban, for the Taliban to sit there and claim this is, uh, you know, this is what Islam says. Literally, you could go back to the founder of Islam and not see any evidence of of some of these types of rules, not giving women education, et cetera, et cetera. So now the government, in its very whacked out version of uh, its interpretation of religion, is carrying out public floggings. It's conducted public executions. Uh, it's really more evidence that the Taliban leadership has cast aside any intent to moderate even as it sought more international recognition. Uh, in March, we should say, they already reneged on their promises to allow girls to attend public high school. So this is kind of the inevitable next step here, also banning them from college. And the timing, Jill, I should say, is really bad. Afghanistan is dealing with a humanitarian crisis, is in desperate need of international aid. And obviously this means that the rest of the world isn't gonna be writing checks to the Afghan government if they see this sort of thing going on. This is a country that hasn't had a self-sufficient economy in decades. And so what that means is that nearly half of the population of 50 million is in need of aid in order to survive. Meanwhile, all of this came after that pretty disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan back in August of 2021. And it's looking like Republicans are going to be launching an investigation into the withdrawal when they take control of the House in January so this was a low point in the Biden presidency, at least in terms of his approval ratings. Yeah, there we should those... say the the lowest point, Jill. Like, literally, this was where the bottom completely fell out. Right. I mean, those desperate scenes from Kabul that were just airing across the world. Americans and Afghans were killed. White House officials privately tell The Washington Post that the probe could be emotionally difficult and politically damaging. In August, the Republican minority on the House Foreign Affairs Committee released the findings of its own inquiry and they found a failure of planning left American leaders with only bad options once the Taliban took control. They say Biden disregarded the concerns of senior U.S. military officials that withdrawing American forces could lead to Taliban gains. And they say that he lied about the advice he received. Yeah. So at the time, if you recall, the Biden officials were placing blame on President Trump, who struck the original deal with the Taliban. This takes me back actually to a bunch of the posts that I had made in August of 2021 on Instagram, explaining that basically, if you go back, President Bush, President Obama, President Trump and President Biden, there were mistakes made across the board. And remember why we were in Afghanistan to begin with. It was to literally, uh, you know, deal with Al Qaeda, deal with the people who perpetrated 9-11 against us. And then it evolved during the Bush administration to say, hey, actually, we should rebuild this country and create a democracy out of this country. 
And then that leads us to 05, 06, 07, 08. Suddenly we're in a 20-year war. We've spent $4 trillion. We've lost thousands of American lives, hundreds of thousands of Afghan lives. Um, and that leads us to the Trump administration, where he struck a deal with the Taliban, led a bunch of them out of prison in Qatar, sent them back to uh, Afghanistan, and struck a deal to get out. Like, she actually tried to get out actually before he left the presidency, but they had this deal for summer of 2021. Ultimately, uh, the planning wasn't done effectively by the Trump administration and then definitely was not done effectively by the Biden White House, which then leads us to this withdrawal, this disaster in August. The Afghan government that we were supporting falls. The Taliban takes over much quicker than we were used to. And you had this crazy evacuation. You mentioned that report, Jill, by the House Republicans over the summer. It's really a preview of what we might see on Capitol Hill this spring and summer. It found a couple stunning numbers, including that nearly 1,500 Afghan children were evacuated without a parent or guardian. You remember those chaotic scenes at the airport. More than 800 U.S. citizens were left behind. That is actually a figure that is significantly higher than the State Department was saying at the time. Republicans who put that report together, by the way, did not get all the documents or any of the interviews that they had requested from the Biden White House. Now, with the Republicans in charge of the House, you're likely to see uh, the White House take those uh, requests much more seriously. And stuck in the middle of all of this, just to bring it back to how we started, are the women of Afghanistan who, again, if you're a young woman, you've basically lived most of your life with a Western-backed government, uh, a relatively bright future, and now you're stuck living under Sharia law. I mean, it's it's horrible. Yeah, if, if you're a millennial or Gen Z Afghan, uh, you don't remember Taliban 1.0 which ruled basically in the late 90s. Uh, and so uh, ultimately here, you are dealing with this, this reality. And that really speaks to, I mean, remember those desperate images, Jill, you know, that we couldn't even fathom of, of the Afghans clinging to the planes as they were taking off, off the runway in August 2021? That makes sense if you see what the Taliban has done to the country. That literally they're like, I will risk holding onto the wheel of a plane to get out of this place because of what is possible with with this government. And, and you're seeing that unfold here. And unfortunately, it was an inevitable reality. It's just the way that the withdrawal went down made it all the more difficult. Time now for our speed read from CNN. President Biden and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky are planning to meet at the White House on Wednesday in a Washington visit that is tentatively scheduled to include an address to a joint session of Congress. As we record this podcast, Zelensky already on his way to Washington. That's Tuesday night. The visit marks his first trip outside of Ukraine since the Russian invasion 10 months ago. The visit to the White House, which has not been finalized and has remained tightly held because of security concerns, will include a meeting with Biden and top administration officials, and it coincides with the administration's intent to send Zelensky a new defense assistance package that will include Patriot missile systems. Lawmakers are also planning for Zelensky to visit Capitol Hill to speak on Wednesday, although that has not been finalized either. Uh, Moshe, in some ways, I'm surprised that this has leaked at all. Like until he actually was on the ground, I'm surprised that it leaked. Yeah, I imagine there's huge ramifications for this. And so obviously we're recording this on Tuesday night. So anything is possible uh, today, uh, Wednesday. But it is Washington and there are just so many leaks. And what's funny, Jill, having covered uh, Congress for years and the White House, is that typically when you get Congress involved, that's where the leaks happen. So there's, you know, there's 435 House members, 100 senators, so much staff that goes into that. If he's, uh, Zelensky is uh, planning a, a speech to Capitol Hill. There's so many people involved in that. And so that is where the leaks typically come from. 
So obviously this visit is not set in stone. The media leaks are probably not helping. But Nancy Pelosi, in a letter to lawmakers that again also leaked on Tuesday, encouraged them to be present for a very special focus on democracy Wednesday night. That was her coded message uh, (laughs) at at the time. That again, that's out there for everyone to read. Um, The visit does come, as you noted, at a really important time. Uh, The top military officials uh, inside Ukraine have warned that Russia is planning a renewed large-scale ground invasion after losing ground these past few months. And it comes as Ukraine has been suffering devastating attacks. The Russians have been focused on destroying its energy, electricity infrastructure, really hurting the civilians. Congress uh, yesterday proposed uh, a $45 billion additional aid package to Ukraine. So I'm sure he'll be thankful for that, asking for more. You mentioned the Patriot missile package. All important stuff. Uh, All eyes are on Washington as a Zelensky visit happens. And of course, what goes on in Kyiv given that this is his first time leaving the country in 10 months. And a reminder, we mentioned this on the podcast a bit earlier this week. Russia has said that if the United States were to actually send those Patriot missiles to Ukraine, um, that that would be a major escalation of U.S. involvement in this and that there would be ramifications. Yeah, and, and of course, like the Russians always do, they kept it very vague as to what those ramifications would be. Consequences, Mosh, that's Conse- the, as they vague describe. Vague consequences. From CNBC, a follow-up to a story we first told you about yesterday. Elon Musk is now actively searching for a new Twitter CEO, according to sources. Musk posted an informal poll Sunday asking Twitter users if he should step down as head of the company. A majority of the 17 million people who voted said, yep, he should leave his post. Musk said he'd abide by the results. Sources telling CNBC's David Faber that his search for a new CEO has been ongoing and it actually started before the Twitter poll was made, which isn't too surprising, Mosh. No, Musk said last month that he didn't intend to be CEO forever. Obviously, he runs three companies, uh, including Tesla, where he really doesn't have a number two, Twitter, where he doesn't have a number two. So clearly, uh, he does need to find somebody, though he has said openly he's skeptical he can find the right person. It does come, Jill, as there was another document dump uh, from Twitter yesterday. I think it's the 7th. Uh, edition of the Twitter files. A reminder, Elon and his team have been dumping internal documents from Twitter, basically embarrassing documents uh, from the previous regime. And, and it actually, it brings people to Twitter. All these dumps happen on Twitter. It also kind of builds up his reputation among the right. Uh, this seventh dump, I need to stop saying the word dump. Mosh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us more about this dump. <laughs> So who's taking the dump? Who's delivering? How big is the dump? I have a five-year-old. Yeah, yeah, I know. know. (laughs) Okay, go. So this latest leak uh, showcases FBI requests in 2020, uh, communication between the FBI and then Twitter management to take down certain accounts. Uh, In short, the FBI was trying to prevent another 2016 situation. They were going through the normal uh, means, actually, that all of us have available to request that uh, accounts get taken down if they're pushing out disinformation. Uh, Twitter abided by about 40% of the requests, at times pushing back at the FBI. I've covered this uh, significantly on my Instagram account Tuesday, so you can go check out more on the Instagram stories over there. Uh, but the, the one thing I want to summarize here, because I get asked uh, frequently on Instagram about coverage of this. So... Having seen what I've seen so far over the last couple of weeks of the leaks, uh, there's no major, you know, uh, silver bullet here. There's no major huge revelation. What we have learned in these multiple leaks over the course of the past couple of weeks is that uh, Twitter 
was sort of a mess internally that um, at times they showcased uh, a bias to take down more uh, right-wing accounts. Uh, the FBI here was going through the normal procedures of requesting things get taken down. They didn't specifically say take down the Hunter Biden story, but all of their prep for Twitter kind of led Twitter to freak out over the Hunter Biden story. So basically, it was just a messy situation for a couple of years. Uh, and the right, some right-leaning media is probably blowing this out of proportion. Some left-leaning media, probably not giving it enough attention. And that is sort of kind of where we find ourselves so far. From the Wall Street Journal, Wells Fargo reached a $3.7 billion deal with regulators to resolve allegations that it harmed more than 16 million people with deposit accounts, auto loans, and mortgages. The settlement with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau includes a $1.7 billion penalty. That's the agency's largest ever fine and more than $2 billion in consumer restitution. Wells Fargo's regulatory troubles continue to ripple through the bank more than six years after its fake account scandal first burst into public view. Other problems later surfaced across the San Francisco-based bank, including its lending and deposit-taking businesses. And most, nothing against the Wall Street Journal. I just basically read their copy. They are not really doing justice to what Wells Fargo did and how egregious and insane it was, the fake account scandal. So just refresh our memories here. Yeah, so if you go back here, you've probably just heard these negative headlines about Wells Fargo for years, but they had this fake account scandal back in 2016. That is when Wells Fargo, which I should remind people, is the third or fourth largest bank in America, uh, depending on the month, uh, right up there with Citibank, uh, Bank of America, et cetera, has nearly $2 trillion in Americans' assets. Back in 2016, this fake account scandal, they copped to opening as many as 2 million deposit and credit card accounts without customers' knowledge. Uh, this was done by employees at the bank. In some instances, they issued debit cards without customers' knowledge. Afterwards, It's insane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really think about it. It's actually insane. <laughs> yeah, and they've been dealing with this now for years. Um, investigations, fines. You mentioned, Jill, the $3.7 billion fine here. They've already paid out about $2 billion of that to customers uh, as sort of a sorry for the stuff that we did. And Jill, you mentioned the other issues in its mortgage and auto lending businesses as well. The bank's actions spent over a decade uh, when it comes to the auto loan payments. Uh, they incorrectly applied them because of technology and compliance failures between 2011 and 2022. They had issues with their home loan modification process, again, over the course of a decade. There's also this, the bank sometimes charged overdraft fees even when a customer had enough funds available. So the bottom line here is uh, know your rights if you are a uh, Wells Fargo customer or a former Wells Fargo customer, because you may likely be entitled to some compensation. From the Washington Post, DEA seized enough fentanyl to kill every person in the United States in 2022. Government officials warn of deadly counterfeit pills sold online, saying no pharmaceutical pill bought on social media is safe. The DEA said Tuesday it seized more than 379 million potentially fatal doses of illegal fentanyl this year as Mexican drug trafficking organizations continue to flood the United States with the cheap synthetic opioid responsible for record numbers of U.S. overdose deaths. The agency says it's confiscated more than 10,000 pounds of fentanyl powder and 50.6 million illegal fentanyl tablets so far this year. So that's twice the number of tablets that were seized in 2021 when more than 107,000 Americans died of drug overdoses. Two-thirds of those deaths were caused by fentanyl. 
Yeah, the DEA says his operational priority right now is to defeat two Mexican drug cartels. You have the Sinaloa cartel and the Jalisco cartel. They're primarily responsible for the fentanyl that is killing Americans today. The Washington Post investigation published last week found that illegal fentanyl has become now the leading cause of death for Americans ages 18 to 49. Fatal overdoses from fentanyl have surged 94% in just the last three years. The drug now claims more lives here in America than car accidents, gun violence, or suicides. Okay, fentanyl is 50 times more potent than heroin, and it's become a billion-dollar business for drug cartels that produce the highly addictive narcotic in secret laboratories in Mexico using chemicals sourced largely from China. The DEA says that the traffickers typically press the drug into tablets. They're designed to look exactly like the prescription pain pills, Oxycontin, Percocet, and Xanax, but they contain filler and fentanyl. Yeah, what's been going on here is that right now they're saying that six out of 10 illegal fentanyl tablets sold in the U.S. streets now contain a lethal dose of the drug. That's up from four in 10 pills just a couple years ago. The U.S. agents and others on the front lines say that the cartels have boosted the potency of their tablets in response to market demand. Uh, what else? For stronger doses. These are Americans, customers who developed an opioid tolerance. And so they have upped the amount of fentanyl in it. The issue here is for a first time user or someone who doesn't know they're consuming fentanyl, it could be deadly. Uh, you mentioned uh, they're made to look identical to Oxycontin, Percocet, Xanax. So the big takeaway here, the DEA says, is that the only safe medications are ones prescribed directly to you by a trusted medical professional and dispensed by a licensed pharmacist. Moshe, it's really so frightening, and we just kind of laid out exactly what the issue is, but behind each of those numbers is a, ki a kid or a person who overdosed, and yeah. it's heartbreaking, right? Because they, they buy a pill online, or maybe a friend gives it to them, they think nothing of it, um, and meanwhile, it's fatal. And, and it, it's just, it's so scary, um, and you can imagine that there's probably young people who've maybe never even done it, you know, who it's their first time and, and they're like, oh, th this will be fun. And they don't think anything of it. Um, and then they wind up dead. It, it's just wild. Or or if someone who had surgery uh, is still in pain, uh, you know, they, their prescribed medication doesn't do it for them anymore. And they're looking for up up dosage. And that's where they're, this is coming in. And it's just, it's very unfortunate. And Jill, I mean, literally, we're now seeing so many fentanyl deaths in this country that it's actually one of the contributing factors as to why life expectancy in the U.S. is now slightly down in the last couple of years. Now to another follow-up, this from NPR. CVS and Walgreens limit sales of children's meds as the triple-demic of respiratory illnesses drives demand. Both CVS and Walgreens, the nation's two largest pharmacy chains, say demand has strained in-store availability across the country of children's formulations of Tylenol and ibuprofen, both of which aim to reduce pain and fevers. So CVS will limit purchases to two children's pain relief products in stores and online. Walgreens will have a six-item limit on online purchases. Sales at physical stores, though, not limited. Nationally, sales of these types of pain medicines for kids up more than 26% in October compared to a year earlier. Yeah, this will probably come as a welcome relief to parents who are, are desperate to find this, that some people will be limited uh, from buying stuff. Uh, they've been in short supply. We talked about this yesterday, especially due to the surge in flu and RSV. Earlier this month, Johnson & Johnson, that's the company that produces children's Motrin and children's Tylenol, said there was no overall shortage. The issue is that it's just high consumer demand. They're producing the same amount as they always have. It's just that people need more of it. The American Academy of Pediatrics says, though, don't panic. These medicines are not curative. 
They don't alter the duration of the illness or anything like that. They're essentially just there for comfort. Fevers from common respiratory viruses in and of themselves are not harmful, uh, though I imagine as a parent, Jill, uh, you know, they, they, that, that doesn't mean much to hear that from the American Academy of Pediatrics. From The Verge, Lionel Messi beats an egg on Instagram. Okay, what? (laughs) (laughs) In addition to a World Cup and a full set of other soccer, a.k.a. football awards, Lionel Messi has taken another crown, the person with the most liked post on Instagram. The pictures he posted after the Argentine team won the 2022 Men's World Cup have racked up almost 64 million likes. That is enough to beat the former record holder, a stock photo of an egg on a white background with a caption that starts, let's set a world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram. Jill, I just checked. I just refreshed. He's up to 67 million likes, if that matters. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the uh, head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, uh, both posted on Instagram about it, uh, you know, congratulating him on his big victory. By the way, that egg, I totally forgot about this, but apparently someone posted this egg picture back in 2019 in order to beat out a post by Kylie Jenner that had racked up the most amount of likes. So basically, it was an anti-Kardashian post. As of this taping, it looks like the egg is now up to 57 million-ish likes. And now a bunch of fans who don't like Argentina are now voting for the egg again. It's an Instagram story. So we'll see if the egg here can make a comeback. Uh, Messi, for what it's worth, uh, holds eight spots on the uh, top 10 all-time list, seven of which were posted before, during, and after this year's World Cup, which makes sense as uh, the person that many people consider to be the greatest soccer player of all time. Okay, what I'm taking from this story is that you and I need to come up with a photo and get people (laughs) to click on it (laughs) to basically unseat Lionel Messi and the egg. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if we could come up with something for a million likes, that would be amazing, Jill. I don't know if we can unseat Lionel Messi at this point, but uh, short of one of us uh, becoming an international athlete superstar or a member of the Kardashian family. Or a singer, which we know is not going to happen. (laughs) Speaking of singing, Jill, I have a few I have a few on this days for you, including a song. We teased this earlier in the um, in the pod. So, uh, and I know that the the 90s retro on this days are playing really well right now. So I got a couple of those. But let's start first with uh, one of the most famous White House meetings of all time. 52 years ago today, December 21st, President Nixon meets with Elvis at the White House. And then I have our two 90s on this days. Uh, first things first, yes. he's at the top. On this day, 32 years ago, Kindergarten Cop starring Arnold Schwarzenegger premiered in theaters. Mosh, you've got the floor. Okay. So there's just so many lines, uh, not all appropriate for this podcast, Jill. But uh, first I have, who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> and then <laughs> Arnold's in the class and the kid's like, he, Arnold's complaining about a headache. And some kid goes, it could be a tumor. And he's like, it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I didn't watch Kindergarten Cop until a little bit later. But I remember these lines because everybody would just walk around saying them. And if you remember early's, uh, early 2000s internet culture, they used to have these soundboards where you could go to a website and they would just have like little audio clips of various films. And the Arnold Schwarzenegger ones were like a go-to, if I recall. If I recall my time on the internet correctly around 2002. Who would have ever thought Arnold Schwarzenegger would one day be the governor of California? <laughs> Very true, right? And you could have said the same thing many years ago about Ronald Reagan. 
You're like, he was an actor. And so if you told people in the 50s that he was one day going to govern California. But yeah, I mean, between... You've and had, Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and Donald Trump, of course. Um, and then I have one last. Uh, this is our uh, musical audio on this day, Jill. On this day, 31 years ago, Mr. Big, remember them? Release their hit, To Be With You. I'm the one who wants to be with you. Deep inside, I hope you feel it too. All right, I'm going to stop because I, I'm on, a horrible girl. singer. Show oh, me yes, what there he's he done to you. <laughs> Stand up, little girl. Broken heart can't be that bad when it's through. When it's true. Oh, it's, it's when it's through. true. Yeah, I, the, see, I'm doing it actually from memory, which is the wild thing here. I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god i peaked in like i i clearly peaked in high school or or not even like middle school which is why these are all just so fresh in my brain i i feel like i feel like the music from your time in junior high and high school will always be like the most amount of songs you'll memorize and just those iconic those iconic songs and i feel like it, regardless of generation like that music that you hear from like, I don't know, age 12 to age 20, is that really that music that sticks with you? And, you know, in this case, Mr. Big. So I saw this meme, I think it was a meme, and it said something like, um, you know, for kids now, 90s music is the same thing that for us 90s kids, 60s music was. And to me, I, I know, I obviously, like everything's relative, but to me, 90s music still, I still expect to hear 90s music on like pop, stations on the radio <laughs> not oh. the oldies stations <laughs> oh a, a, a thousand percent and you know it's a lot of you have a lot of these instances where like you know suddenly like the wonder years when that was on uh if we had a wonder years equivalent what would on you today, do if i sang out of tune joe cocker classic man joe cocker <laughs> classic um if you had wonder years on today it'd be a show about the late 90s early 2000s when we saw Apollo 13 in theaters, that was only 22 years, 21 years removed from Apollo 13 happening. So that would be like watching a film today about something that happened in like 9-11, right? Um, and it just feels like a different moment, a different time period. But uh, Jill, this is all to say we're old. We're old. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the big takeaway. <laughs> we are old, Mosh, but I like it. Um, and I'm glad that we have these '90s moments, and I feel like they're resonating with people for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I, I'm going to see what I have cooked up tomorrow for December 22nd. We'll see what the uh, we'll see what the pop culture gods gave us in the '90s, Jill. With that, should we say goodbye? If we must. All right. We want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store, please, so we can continue to grow. Yes, I appreciate all of you following the show, telling your friends, uh, family, colleagues about the podcast, uh, hearing uh, we, Jill and I daily are getting great notes from all of you. The reviews in the App Store uh, really make a difference in Spotify and Apple. So appreciate all of you who are doing that. Don't forget to follow me, of course, over on Instagram as well. The Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. With that, Jill, we'll see everyone tomorrow. Bye.